All right, welcome everyone. Uh, you might notice my voice is a little bit different and I am not Eric. So uh, my name is Mel Flowers. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I play in a couple bands in the Chicago area. I play in a folk rock Americana band called The Secret Lives and I play in a black metal band uh, called Tides Cult. Um, I've been working with rock in Chicago since about 2015. Uh, Eric brought me on as a writer initially. I used to co-host his podcast back in the day that he did out of his house. And uh, now he relaunched the podcast, which I am super excited about and super excited to be hosting. Um, he asked me to host this podcast because we are talking about a topic that hits very close to home with me. Um, we are talking about queer representation in our music scene for Pride Month, and uh, I have a special guest with me today who I am going to let introduce themselves. So if you want to introduce yourself, let us know what you do in music and outside of music and just a little bit about who you are. Well, hey, Mel. Uh, my name is Sarah Natweed. I am a drummer by trade. I am also an engineer and a producer. I am, am also the host of a podcast called Hello, I Am Human, and uh, so fellow podcaster here. And you know, I'm a I'm, I'm a, a non birthing mother, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I'm currently a stay at home mom, rocking a podcast and making music. So I mean, I feel like I'm living my dream life. That is awesome. Yeah, I uh, am sort of a stay at home mom as well. I. I do music for a living. Actually, I did the dumbest thing because at the beginning, right before quarantine, I was like, I'm making money off of music more so than my job. So I'm going to quit my job and have no yeah. job stability and be a musician for a living. And then quarantine happened. So stay at home mom slash getting back to being a full-time musician, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. Yay, queer moms. Queer um, moms! <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about uh, your musical journey a little bit. When did you start playing music? Oh, my gosh. So I started playing guitar at, at like 12 years old. I got my first guitar, and I switched to drums in eighth grade because I wanted to get out of French class, <laughs> and my brother had a snare drum, and I was like, perfect. I mean, I'm a guitar player, but I guess I'll play drums. And uh, yeah, so I did it basically to get out of French class. And the first time I sat down behind a drum set, I just fell in love. It was clearly my instrument. There was just something that I was very drawn to about it. And I feel like it really helped me through my teenage years, you know, with angst and anxiety yeah. to you know be able to hit things. And uh, I still enjoy that. <laughs> and yeah, I started, I played my, I was playing in bands when I was like 17 years old in like 1997 to give everybody a, an idea of how long I've been doing it. And uh yeah, I did that uh, all through high school, and then, like, after high school, um, I quit my job when I was, I think, 20 or 21 to be a full-time musician, and did that, like, toured with a, a band called Far From Nowhere, and uh, we did, like, all out throughout the Southeast U.S., and we went to Korea a few times, and that was super awesome, and, like, played in Canada, and it was an, it was an interesting experience because... Um, we did like covers and originals. So that's why we were able to make a living doing it. You know, we would play three hours a night. That was our full-time job. And we would also be able to, you know, in a three hour set, you can play a lot of your originals. Sure. And so, you know, we were selling all of our CDs. We were like burning all of our CDs at home because it's <laughs> the early 2000s. That. Yeah. Cause it's the <laughs> early 2000s and that's what we were all doing. And like, 
I was just saying to my bass player um, that I'm still super tight with how, man, we got so much crap for playing cover music back then. And like, that's the thing that everybody does on social media now. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's like always like ripping some awesome like drum cover of something and like ripping a good guitar cover. Cause everybody loves covers. Like, sure. let's be honest. Yeah. The reason you're covering it is because it's a song you love. Like, come on. <laughs> and we got so much shit for it. So it's, it's just <laughs> funny to watch it come full circle all these years later. Well, so, yeah. Crazy, because that's how you make a living now as a musician, and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of messed up because, you know, you push your original music and you make, like, $10 at the end of the night and three drink tickets, and then you go play a cover set for three hours and make 500 bucks, but, I mean, it's the way the world works, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly why we did it, and, you know, that band dissolved um, in, I think, like, 2006, and the bass player and I, it kind of came down to, like, we wanted to make music and didn't mind having day jobs because we wanted to be making original music. And the uh, the singer and the guitar player, they just wanted to make money playing music. And it's like, cool. We all, like, went off in our separate ways. And uh, I ended up moving to Chicago in 2010 um, to play with, um, uh, at that time, the band Bad Bad Meow who I knew Alan Kahn from, uh, all, he had moved to my hometown in Newburn, North Carolina. It was all like serendipity that we met at this open mic I had started. And I moved to Chicago to play with him and I've ended up playing in like all of these different bands over the years. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey. I've played a lot of shows and, uh, it's, it's great. I enjoy it. I think that I've definitely lean a little more towards being a studio musician at this point because, sure. you know, I'm 40 and a mom. <laughs> I get, I get, I go to bed kind of early. I get up early. I got shit to do, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think our hometowns are like four or so hours apart because I'm from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Oh yeah. So you guys are big racing people. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're about f- four hours apart in the hometown. So that's pretty rad. Yeah. Um, talk about your current band a little bit. What are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm um I'm currently working with my creative partner Pamela Maurer from Baby Money and the Down Payments. Um, she and I started playing together in 2016, and uh, <clears throat> pardon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just released a single called "You Are a Flower." Uh, it was kind of a it was a song she kind of had, and we decided like let's just get one done for Bandcamp Friday in May. And this is in April. We just said, let's just get it done. Let's give ourselves a month. Let's just kill it. And we're going to make a music video for it. And I recorded all of the drums here at my house uh, where I've got my studio set up. And she ended up coming over for a master's recording session, which was like so nice because it was like having my best friend in the room with me after all of this time. She was like vaccines were happening and like we could just wear masks and it was great. And so we tracked all of it and, like, recorded the music video and dropped it. And it was just such a nice thing to, like, give ourselves a deadline to make ourselves get it done. And I just love that song so much. And uh, it was one of those where I had so much fun doing it. It's like it didn't even matter how it was received because it was a joy already. You know what I mean? That's great. Yeah. Yeah, you have to love it first. That's what I've learned. And it's like I used to play music for other people I've done it in bands before you know go by the format and that's the thing that like I've learned getting older you got to make music for yourself before you make it for anyone else so it made me happy to hear you say that (laughs) oh yeah yeah you have to bring authenticity because people can tell and 
and more so I think it comes across in your in your voice in your body in your playing like if you're not engaged with the music that you're playing it's going to come across I yeah. like I've experienced it so many times playing say playing cover songs if it's a song I love like I'm going to play it differently than a song I don't care about and we're just playing because the crowd likes it and it's just the thing that's interesting at the time you know it's like the hot new track like sure. yeah. whatever y'all yeah, I think that we all have to do our uh, pay our dues playing Sweet Caroline while clearly not paying attention and watching the TVs on the sports bar behind us. You know, we've all done it. <laughs> I'm so glad other people watch the television while they're playing shows. I have spent way too much of my time. I mean, like, I didn't even care about watching NASCAR, but here I am. <laughs> well, it's funny because I am a huge NBA fan. Like, I, I'm basketball through and through since I was a kid and I used to purposely book shows at a specific bar because I could get paid money to watch the Bulls game while it was on because I was in this cover band that I just I fucking hated it you know but it was it was paying my bills but yeah it's I feel like everyone's done it especially people closer to our age you know maybe not the young younger generation but we've all done it (laughs) oh yeah like I could it's it's such an interesting thing I don't like I don't know what the deal is with cover bands now because now in Chicago it's like these huge cover bands like I I can't remember the one Maggie Speaks Mm -hmm. it's like they've got like 14 members yeah but like they rotate like who's playing when and all of that like oh my god and they're like insane they're yeah. so good it, it makes no sense how good all of them are mm-hmm. and yeah there's like just these huge huge cover bands so i don't even know are there like regular like barfly cover bands in the chicago area oh there's yeah. plenty especially in the suburbs <laughs> <laughs> on a friday night you can't get dinner without having your ears wrecked by someone so <laughs> oh my gosh maybe that's why i don't know is like i'm never going out because i've got little kids or i was like only going out because i was playing a show or something and then quarantine you know sure yeah so. yeah it's just like around here, like any place with food, there are cover bands. You will find them. And yeah. it's just like sometimes you're just not in the mood for that. And you walk into a specific bar and you really want the food. And then you have to sit and listen to the new 21 Pilot song played poorly, you know. And it's just <laughs> like, <laughs> but I give anyone credit that's up on stage, though. You know, yeah, right. you keep, anyone that gets up there and has the balls to do it, more power to you, no matter yeah, what respect. you're playing. Yeah, maybe sure. maybe you should woodshed that one a little bit longer, but you know, respect, <laughs> respect. Like not everybody's gonna be great, but I respect all musicians that are willing to stand up, especially singers. Like nothing. Like I remember in probably two thousand eight, I uh, I was dating this girl, and she was just like, when you, you know when you're in those like bad relationships that just become like a muse for you, yep. where it's like just it's just not a necessarily a healthy relationship. And like music is a way that I, uh, process my emotions. Mm-hmm. So I was just like writing and writing. I was like, you know, fuck it. I can sing. I'm Sarah at the time, Sarah Saito. I can do anything. <laughs> and like, so I just decided I was going to be a singer songwriter. The scariest thing I have ever done musically in my life. Yep was standing at the front of the stage with just my guitar and everybody was looking at me waiting for me to start singing. And keep in mind, at this time, I was in my late 20s. I had played over a thousand shows behind a drum kit. Fearless. I am fearless behind a drum kit. That moment, oh my God, terrible. 
terrifying. Yeah, that was really hard. I feel like that's part of the queer musician journey. You have to be a singer-songwriter at some point. (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know, you just listen to that one Indigo Girls album one too many times, and you think you're one of them all of a sudden. I've done it, too. And, um, yeah, playing the coffee shops and being so nervous that you can, you know, you drop your pick in the hole in your guitar and yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, So let's talk about, because we're talking about being queer musicians here. Let's talk about um, who you are as far as your queerness. And I know that's kind of a weird question, but it'll, it'll play into what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, I'll go first since, um, I knew I was queer from the time I was born. (laughs) I had a crush on a girl in kindergarten. Her name was Brooke. I cut her hair off with scissors because I liked her. Um, (laughs) Oy vey. Yep, yep. And um, I came out when I was 13. I was in high school, and it was not well received by my mother at all. I was raised by a Southern Baptist mom. Um, so you can just imagine the words that were said, um, something on the, along the lines of, I would rather be dead than have a gay child. Mm. Um, and then, so I went back into the closet and was like, oh, just kidding. It was a phase. And I started dating men I had no interest in and I wanted to be more like them instead of actually liking them. Right. Yeah. Um, And then uh, when I was 17, I fell for um, someone that was a musician, (laughs) and um, that didn't work out very well. Um, But that's when I came into my queerness and finally accepted it and was like, I have to be this way for me, not for my mom, you know, and uh, that you know, from then on, I just kind of lived my truth and became the queerest queer there's ever been. (laughs) So you can talk about whatever you feel comfortable talking about. Um, I don't want to pressure you into, because I know it's a weird question. No, I don't um, find it a weird question at all. And I just want to say, like, as someone, as a 41-year-old, like, that's so impressive that you knew at such a young age and you tried to come out at 13. Like I didn't know my ass or my elbow at 13 (laughs) years old. Like I had no clue. And like to live your truth at 17, like Mel, that is powerful. Like, like I'm, I'm inspired. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Like truly, like I mean that from the bottom of my heart, but no, I, um, I, I was, (laughs) okay. So we have this joke that I've, I talk about, I've talked about on my show before, but, and it's not, I've written a blog about it, about how, uh, I, my wife is Captain Obvious and I am General Oblivious because (laughs) I am, I'm very oblivious to a lot of things because I just bebop through the world and I'm just doing my thing. And I feel like that was definitely me with my queerness was that I, I didn't get it. You know, I always hung around with my brother and like I hung and, um, all of his friends, like I just, I always hung out with boys. And that was just, I was a tomboy. I like played sports and stuff like that. And I was just so clueless to it. And like, I would have like these thoughts about like random girls. Like I, there's this one girl that was a couple of years older than me in high school that like, I realize now, like I totally had a crush on her, but I didn't have, I couldn't 
comprehend that. Like, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, like, there was no queer representation. Sure. Like, I grew up in the, when you were going through that, like, I'm not sure how old you are, but, like, when I was that age, that was, like, when the AIDS pandemic was happening. And there was, like, that's all I knew, is that if you were gay, you had AIDS. <laughs> and that's terrifying. And it's something that only guys were. And it was, a, like, growing up in the South, it's a lot of um, derogatory words that were used around queerness. And so that was how I was raised. And not that my parents were, like, necessarily, as many parents are, they're not necessarily, like, these angry, hateful people. It's just that was just how it was talked about around me because we didn't know anybody. I knew one gay guy who had, who is still alive and still has is HIV positive. Sure. And like, that was the only person that I knew in my life. And so I, I was in what I didn't realize was a relationship with like my best friend in high school. And she was like the first girl I ever kissed the first girl I did anything with. And it wasn't until we were in our early 30s, her and I were, like, having this conversation at this, like, memorial show for a friend, and she says some says something to the effect of, oh, you were my first girlfriend, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was? She's like, well, yeah, like, what else would you have called that? I was like, uh, I mean, I thought we were just, I don't know, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, wow. And, I mean, it changed my life, like, knowing that she had that perspective on it, because, like, I was totally in love with her. But I didn't have the words to say it. Sure. And um, so I didn't come out until I was 25. And I was dating um, a girl at the time. And that was how I told my mom. And I remember um, my mother would always hate when I told the story. But uh, she was like, I was like, well, mom, at least I'm not doing heroin. And she's <laughs> like, that might have been better. <laughs> and I knew in the moment that she said that, that she didn't mean it. And so I was like, she's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And, like, I felt totally fine about her having that, like, outburst. But when I was telling this story the one time, she was like, Sarah, that was, like, one of the worst moments of my life that I said that to you. I was like, Mom, like, I know you didn't mean it. It's fine. And she was like, no, why do you tell people that story? But, you know, That's I funny. think it's a great story. It's pretty funny. Like, looking back at it now, my mom's reaction was so hurtful when she said, I'd rather be dead than have a gay child. Um, now, I, I, she's come around, I would say, but she's still a Southern Baptist, you know? Yeah. And she still has, you know, my partner and I over for holidays, and she, you know, likes her and things like that. But I know there's always something in the back of her mind, you know, because she's, mm -hmm. and my mom's older too. My mom's in her 70s. So mm -hmm. she, you know, an elderly Southern Baptist, you know, that's just, yeah. I've accepted that you just can't take that out. You know, right. it's just ingrained in her and I could fight her to the death. But I, it's just like the argument that's kind of not worth having as long as everyone's getting along and everyone's cordial, you know, fine with it. No, totally. There's <laughs> there's so much shame built into the ideology, especially in, in the Southern Baptist ideology. Like I I've, I've grew up around it like we weren't Southern Baptists. Like my dad was a Catholic. My mom was Methodist. But like everyone around us in eastern north carolina is like a southern baptist so like there's so much of that and i, I like i could go on a whole tangent of about like shame and organized religion and fear and all of that but 
Um, I don't think that's what this episode is about. (laughs) Going on a a quick diversion. (laughs) Have you read Brandi Carlisle's book at all? My wife just got it for me for my birthday. Oh my gosh. She talks all about that and how she went into a phase of being a Southern Baptist Mm -hmm. as uh, a a teenager and how they refused to baptize her because she was queer and there's Mm -hmm. like this whole thing. So you're going to love that when you get to it. Yeah. I'm familiar with that story of hers. Like I'm very interested to like hear it in the context of her memoir. Mm -hmm. And I would highly recommend also getting the audio book, even though you have the book. I'd never listened to an audio book in my life until I listened to that and her, her just reading it and hearing it in her words and she plays songs in between it's fantastic oh, right. yeah. yeah I'm I'm all about the audiobooks done by the narrator like Brene Brown like that's the only way I will consume her books because her telling those stories is just so goddamn good yeah. I love her I love it yeah they're good stuff okay. so that's good I, I will take that note and I We're... will get that on audible we're going on plenty of tangents here <laughs> that's okay it's, you can it's, edit this it's out a conversation. Eric no, he can't. Yeah, yeah. Don't touch it, Eric. Yeah! Um, <laughs> um, so let's talk about um, your experience being queer in the local music scene. And I'm going to leave that open and broad, um, whether it's been a good experience or a bad experience, just any experience in general you've had uh, just being a queer person playing music. Sure. I think that um, one of the things I was actually just, uh, when we were getting ready for this podcast, I, w- I had mentioned it to my wife. And... Uh, I just remember being at bars and playing shows and this is in, you know, the North Carolina area and like there was be this, the thing where like my girlfriend would be there with me and like a guy is like hitting on you and you're like, Oh no, thanks. I'm gay. (laughs) This is my girlfriend. And the very first thing out of their mouth would be, Oh, can I watch? Yep. Like, Oh Thank you, random guy at bar. We were just saying how we really just needed you, uh, some guy, to come watch us make sweet gay love to each other. Like, yo, get the fuck out of here. Like, my wife couldn't believe that that was, like, a thing that happened. I was like, oh, yeah, so many times. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like, I feel that in the music scene, um, I've, it's just been such a non-issue for me because I am a cis white lesbian. Like, like I think on the, uh, on the scale of intersectionality of queerness, in my personal opinion, my demographic has it the easiest because like we can just, and I'm like mostly pretty femme. Um, so, like, that's just, like, so easy. Like, nobody thinks anything of it. It's like, oh, that's fine. Oh, you're, we're just the kind of lesbian they want to see on television, you know? (laughs) It's like, they want their gay boys to look one way and their lesbian girls to look another way. And, like, I mean, I am just, like, right (laughs) down there in society's thumbs up lane. If someone's going to give a thumbs up, it's going to be to a cis white femme lesbian you know (laughs) so honestly like and like I so many of my friends have had it so much harder because of their intersectionality or because of the way that they present and um I also like I don't even know if like how much of that is internalized within me too where as someone that like came out uh 16 years ago I've had such a journey even now with my queerness like 
just on my show last week, um, on my up my my podcast, I was talking with um, Ellie from Supernova, and talking about like reclaiming the word queer. Like queer was a dirty word the entire time I was growing up, and like at forty one years old for the first time, I'm like completely comfortable with the word queer. Because, like, I had to get to that place. Mm-hmm. So that's not having to do anything with the music scene, but, you know. <laughs> I like the word queer because I feel like it encompasses a lot of things. Yeah. Um, because I'm queer in my sexuality. I am gender queer. I am just all kinds of queer. And it's just easier to say. And, like, people get it when you say that. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't want to have to explain to, you know someone's drunk aunt at Christmas, you know, my, you know, sexuality and my, you know, not that I owe it to anyone to explain it, but you know, it's just, it's, it's easier. I love that word. Yeah. But it totally was a dirty word like back in the day. And it's just, it's crazy how our community has just like embraced it, especially over the last, like I've noticed like four to five years, Mm -hmm. like it's just become like, so we've taken that word back. Yeah. You know. And yeah, so I love it. Awesome. There is something that feels that just feels nice about the word because exactly what you said, it's so all encompassing. Mm-hmm. And like it is just easier because an 85 year old grandma understands what the word queer means because it has a, an actual it had before it was used to necessarily speak about the LGBTQ plus community like queer just is means you're different, you know. Right. I might be misquoting Merriam-Webster dictionary right now. <laughs> um, so my apologies. But, you know, and that's that's the thing that's just so nice about queer. Like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm all in on queer now. I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, my experience in the music scene um, may be a little bit different than yours. I have definitely had the, the guy situation. Um, I used to, even when I was single, I used to wear a wedding ring. Um, Mm. when I would play just avoid the conversation whatsoever but when I would have you know whoever I was with at the time come out with me to shows it it almost always presented an awkward situation at one time or other in the night and it's usually when we're playing um, I call them tank top towns like you know (laughs) I know exactly what you're saying you you know exactly what I'm talking about (laughs) yes um but the uh, the more hillbilly suburbs, mm-hmm. um, yep, tank top towns. Uh, it it was just I I was never comfortable because there was always going to be some drunk asshole there that either was being perverted or that was you know calling me every name under the sun, you know, yeah. and saying I can't believe you're even allowed in this establishment and things like that. So. I've definitely had those experiences um, in in a lot of the like more folk and Americana bands I've been in. I feel like that's such a progressive genre now mm-hmm. that I haven't really encountered many issues with people I've played with or, you know, even people coming to see the shows um, because I feel like in folk music, there's a lot of queerness. So <laughs> at some yeah. point, it's almost to be expected. Um, but I had, um, a rough time in a band I was in. I was in a death metal band, um, just a few years ago and, uh, that situation did not end pretty, um, Mm. whatsoever. Um, it, it was within the band. Um, I was with them for almost three years and realized 
late in the game that there was some severe homophobia going on mm-hmm. um, behind my back when I wasn't there. And these are people that I toured with, you know, toured the country with and thought were my Fuck. friends. And yeah. um, they decided to start bringing my girlfriend's ex to the shows to fuck with me and um it was a bad situation and that was probably the worst um the worst possible scenario of (laughs) homophobia in the music scene (laughs) within my own band that's intense um but i i can't say it's the metal scene but i i I can say that because there are some wonderful people in the metal scene Mm -hmm, and super accepting and loving people um but that's in in that band i played in was probably some of the worst experiences i've had with my own band at that time and also you know with some other bands we played with that had had gotten quite nasty with me too so um but i'd say maybe 30% of my experience has been bad in you know the almost 20 years i've been playing music so yeah. to say that honestly isn't bad you know, I, yeah, statistically, I've had a great overwhelming feeling of love and acceptance in most every musical scenario I've been in. So I can't say, you know, it's easy to point out the bad, but Mm -hmm. I've had so many good experiences too. Um, and we've both been playing music for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, have you noticed a change in how queer people are, accepted within the music scene or like even out at shows with audience have you noticed a change in that since the beginning of you playing music till now for sure just because I mean society has changed so much you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. um I think that that's one of the really good things that's happening you know as the younger generation like where I was saying that like you knew so early on like the kids that are you know, in their teens and 20s and like mid 20s right now, like there's just this like understanding and acceptance in a different way. And like a lot of the in the the Americana and folk folk people that I know, or even country, um, like Katie uh, Katie Puritt, Pruitt, God, (laughs) Katie Pruitt, (laughs) and um, Semler, like who's like a Christian artist that's queer. Like there's, there's just this really awesome um, uptick in openly queer musicians, I feel like, but because it's just more wide ranging, people are more open to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, like speaking about a band experience that, that just reminded me, like I was just talking to um, a former singer of mine and uh, we were just kind of shooting the breeze and, and he was like, Hey, look, I've got this thing I need to talk to you about. And he, he said how he needed to apologize to me because he would always talk about me and say that, I was their, like, badass lesbian drummer. And he said, you know, I never said that, like, Jason was our badass straight guitarist. So I apologize, like, if that ever hurt you. And going back to me being, like, so generally oblivious, which is probably (laughs) one of the reasons I had such good experiences. Because, like, I just literally didn't notice because I'm off in my own world. And, uh, yeah, I was like, dude, I never thought anything of it. But that means so much to me that you thought that through and are saying that to me that's and um yeah like what a great guy Mm -hmm. and uh yeah that was such a big deal so like that is a perfect example and like as he and I were talking about it it's it's like dude that was 
you know, what is it, 2021? This is like eight years ago we were in this band. And so, I mean, we, he and I have both grown so much as people that like a thing that like I thought nothing of at the time, if he would have said that now, I might have thought of it differently. So it was nice that like he had his own little awakening to that. So that's an example of how the music scene has changed that, you know, my singer that I've been friends with, we've never had any bad blood, but like he as a person, it, he changed, looked back on something he had done and apologized for it. And yeah. And like, to me, that's just, that represented that how we've all grown as a society and as a music scene. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I've noticed, um, especially, so when I was about 16, 15, 16, that's when I started playing music out. Um, and I actually started as a country artist. Um, the, the fearful, teenager with a guitar dropping the pick in the guitar hole that we talked about (laughs) um and at that time I really felt there was no place for me Mm -hmm. um especially in country music um a genre that is you know known for being fairly right wing Mm -hmm. and um judgmental not just on sexuality but you know, gender and race and had so much of that stigma attached to it. Um, But I loved the music so much that I wanted to pursue it. And eventually, when I discovered artists um, like Indigo Girls and Brandi Carlile and, you know, Missy Higgins and people that were, you know, kind of country adjacent, but were queer, and mm-hmm. I, I discovered folk and Americana music. That's kind of when I drifted away from country music. But looking at country now, that's where I see the biggest change, um, yeah. especially after Shelley Wright came out. That was huge. Like, yeah. she was such a big country artist back in the day. And, um, you know, I imagine a lot of, you know, middle-aged uh, white right-wing moms (laughs) liked her music that were like, oh my God. Um, But that's when I really started to feel the shift in country music. Mm -hmm. And now there's like so many queer country artists like Katie Pruitt you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, even like mainstream pop country artists coming out now. There's a a woman named Brooke Eden um, who's a country artist and is played on the radio and is queer. And years ago, you never would have seen that. Like, right. never in a million years. Like, they, I mean, we're still struggling to play women on country radio, but, right. you know, the fact that they allow a queer country woman on, on the radio is just, like, just shows how much even just that one genre has progressed. And yeah. even the, the genres that were already somewhat progressive to begin with, like, if you see that in country, I can just imagine what those, the shift that those other genres have gone through. Oh, um, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to feel like I have a place finally, because <laughs> for a while there, it, it did feel like I didn't have a place in music. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that that's like kind of shifting into one of the other things I know we were going to talk about was like why representation is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, a friend of mine uh, had sent me a, the, um, like the link to Brandi Carlisle's song, The Mother. I remember listening to it and it was like really great and very impactful. And uh, 
But then I ended up one night just kind of flipping through YouTube videos. I found her live performance of it on Austin City Limits. And she told her story as being what the term that I have coined for it for myself is a non-birthing mother. Like Mm -hmm. my wife carried both of our sons because, as I have said before, I'm not woman enough to do it. And having watched her be pregnant and deliver children and breastfeed, like I am literally no. That is yeah, it's not mm -mm. fun. No, no, recommend it. (laughs) Nope, I have (laughs) utter eternal respect for every mother that has ever carried children. Thank you to my mommy. And thank you to my wife. I love my kids. But like, no, I wasn't built for that. And I am completely comfortable in my body about that. Um, But Brandi Carlisle talking about her experience with, because her wife, Catherine, carried their girls and how when they were pregnant with their first daughter, the friends had come over and it's like, you know, the wife goes off with her wife. She goes off with the husband and how like, I, I didn't have like the I had didn't have that same like connection that my wife did with the kids. Cause I'm not breastfeeding. It wasn't until like they're like eight weeks old and can like smile and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like it was the first time I'd ever heard any woman talk about that experience that was just like mine. I was like, oh, my God, I just want to like sit down and have a conversation with you about it. And like, as you know, Brandy, like she tells that story pretty much every time. She plays the mother, sure. I feel like. And, like, yeah. I've heard it so many times and heard her tell it differently uh, so many times. And, oh, my gosh, like, I, that story. God. I love when she mentions that her firstborn Evangeline was born on Father's Day. Like, that is just the funniest thing to me. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, it's talking about queer representation, why it's important. That's one right there. Because, yeah. like, not only... Are these people inspiring, you know, other musicians? They're inspiring people that, you know, they have this platform where people may feel the same way, but they don't have anyone to identify with. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example. And, you know, I I can relate to that where I I did carry my daughter, but I was having so much um, gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. at the time and not feeling comfortable in my own body when I was pregnant that I feel like I didn't feel as connected to her as I should have Mm -hmm. um, even after she was born and just hearing someone else say that and being like it's okay like no one's ever told you this but it's okay yeah you know and that's why it's important for queer people to tell their stories and you know you hear all the time on comments on YouTube videos and whatever else of why can't they just shut up and play the music? Why can't they make, why do they have to make everything so political or why do they have to make everything about their sexuality? And it's because, you know, you could be saving someone's life by talking about it. Yeah. Well, because we've felt so alone. Yeah. And because, um, on one of the episodes of my podcast, I talked with boys versus girls and he really talked about that, like how he makes music for, his teenage self like he is writing the music that he needed to hear and I think that that's something that a lot of musicians do but I know it's something that queer musicians do because we don't have that like anybody can find a love song right you can like turn on the radio and find a love song find a heartbreak song but there's something that hits different when you're a queer person hearing a song written by a woman that's going that's to another woman like no like be be, because for me 
that's such a unique kind of love. And I think that that's the thing that it's one of the, the best parts of being queer. And like, I love being with my wife because, because of that, because like, like, so women are always categorized as being emotional creatures. Right. Sure. So like, what better love than to like emotional creatures. Right. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Like there's, there's there's something about it. And like, that it it like that's one of the reasons I love Brandy Carlisle's music, you know like, um, gosh what's that I can't think of the name of the song I'm gonna botch it, but like <laughs> she's got the one song where um, like the one of her love songs to her wife and it's just like oh my god that's like so like this uh, like the fight that we had gotten into like oh yeah I totally pulled that shit too and I don't know you just need to be able to see yourself in in somebody and like we all just want to feel seen it's a human need. It's a sure. literal survival skill as humans that we need to feel seen and heard and connected. So definitely. Yeah. Especially queer kids. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of our favorite representation, queer representation. You're talking about it already. So let's yeah, just clearly Brandy Carlisle. Um, yeah. So I have a very interesting Brandy story and how I came to her music. Um, I used to, when I was 17, I was either, yeah, I believe I was 17. I'd been playing, like, shows, and by shows, I mean the coffee shop corners for (laughs) about a year uh, at that point, and I got a gig playing at Borders. Remember Mm -hmm. Borders? (laughs) Fantastic. That was a big deal. That would have been a big deal, man. So I had I had a gig there um, every other week playing in their the corner of their little coffee shop and I would go every other week play my you know sad country songs in the corner that no one clearly cared about um, and I was just I had one day where I was just feeling like I don't want to do this anymore mm-hmm. like maybe I should just pick another hobby. I just feel like I'm doing the same thing, and I feel like anyone would feel like they're doing the same thing if you're playing the same coffee shop every other sure. week to no one that didn't care. Um, but they had finally said Borders was closing. It was no more. I had one more week left. And on my last week there, all the music was on sale. And I went over to the CD rack, and I picked out this CD, and I didn't know the artist. I'd never heard of her before. But the cover was just so cool. And mm-hmm. I didn't know who she was or that she was a queer artist at the time. But she just looked so badass. And there was, yeah. like, just something so queer about just the way she looked. I couldn't it, put my finger on it. Was it Give Up the Ghost? No, it was her very first album. So okay. it was way before any okay, of that okay. was released. It was the self-titled. That's, that's a hot album cover. I'm just saying. Yes, I, I agree with that. <laughs> um but yeah, it was the first album cover where she's wearing that like green jacket or whatever. Yep. And it, it just, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was drawn to it for some mm-hmm. reason. And I put that in my car and I sat in that Borders parking lot until the album was over. And I cried through the entire thing from beginning to end. Like there's just something about her voice that just makes you want to cry when you yep. hear it. And that, I, that is why I play music still. Yep. Without picking up that album and hearing that. I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. That's amazing. That's the reason. And then I became obsessed and I've seen her 30 times. And <laughs> But um, yeah, definitely one of my favorite uh, queer representation in music. But after that, I just became obsessed with the idea of a, a queer musician. Um, yeah. And I started Googling it and, and 
seeing who else was out there. And then I became obsessed with the Indigo Girls. And Mm -hmm. then shortly after that, uh, Elton John, because I knew Brandy was so inspired by Elton John. And it just, I felt seen for the very Mm -hmm. first time. And I felt like I was hearing all these songs on the radio that are like, straight love songs you know and it's just like I can't relate to that Mm -hmm. so hearing that for the first time and hearing these indigo girl songs where they're using you know female pronouns talking about their lovers you know it was just that was life-changing for me yeah um and to this day there's so many like artists that I discovered you know back in the day that they're still my favorite examples of queer representation and Brandi Carlisle being one um and even like TV shows, you know, influence me and and make me feel seen. Like there's this one show that it's so cheesy, but I'm obsessed with, and it's called Winona Earp. It was a sci-fi um, TV show, and there is a couple in the they're in a small town. It's like a western, and like Doc Holliday's in it, but it's mm-hmm. modern day. I don't right. know. It's real weird. But um, there is a lesbian couple in it, and it's the first example I've ever seen TV show or, you know, movie that there wasn't conflict in their relationship. And it seems Mm -hmm. like that's what every queer TV show or, you know, movie seems to be about, is the conflict in their relationship. Like, oh, they have husbands, and they shouldn't be together, and, you know, they, um, oh, no, someone's going to find out they're gay, you know? And Mm -hmm. it was the first one that... They just had a normal, happy relationship, and it wasn't even discussed that they were queer. Right. And that is just, like, that is why queer representation is important, because we need to be seen as, you know, the straight couple. Yeah. And we just need to be seen as regular-ass couples, yeah. because guess what? Our problems are, are the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same problem when my potty-training toddler, you know, shits in the floor for the fourth time in the day. <laughs> You know, it's like, we have these problems too, you know? Oh, the no pants method. Oh God. Yeah. It's not, it's not working great right now, but. We'll talk about that off. Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, we, we do have those same problems and it's like, we're seen as like these like unicorns of people, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, we pay our bills the same way you do. You know, we go grocery shopping the same way you do, you know? And, and to see that in, in media is so so important oh a hundred percent a hundred percent like god I thought of so many different things as you were talking about that I thought about <laughs> like I was like obsessed with Xena warrior princess when I was uh, a teenager because I was like <laughs> all, like all into playing Dungeons and Dragons at the oh, time and like guess oh my what? god I have a well my girlfriend does has a hairless cat that I named Xena that's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's the queerest thing you may have ever said. <laughs> yeah, potentially, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, oh my gosh, I just think about, yeah, you're totally right, though, because what was that? There was that um, Kristen Stewart, like, Christmas movie that just came out that Dan Levy yep. was in. And like, same thing. It was like, they're just like having such a hard time about like, the oh, my parents don't know I'm gay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she's the pretty femme girl. It's always that same thing. And like, when... uh when it was right when my wife and I very first met, um, which we met on OKCupid okay back in the Aww. day, back when that was still like a thing in like 2011. And like within the first couple of days, she had told me about the movie The Kids Are All Right mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Annette Benning and 
Julianne Moore. Mm-hmm. And Mark Ruffalo plays the sperm donor that, mm-hmm. like, the kids go to meet. And she told me about that movie. And I loved that movie so much because, like, that was just such a regular queer relationship. And, like, she was like, you better not, like, fuck our sperm donor one day. <laughs> like, like ah, ah. She's like, this is, like, a week or two into beating. I don't know. Like, but, that like, that movie was, like, just such a touchstone for me because it was the same thing. It's like they were having real arguments. They were having real we've been married for 20 years fucking problems. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, like, yeah. that was that was so good because I feel like gay, queerness and gayness often become such caricatures. Mm-hmm. Like, I enjoyed the show Modern Family, but at the same time, I feel like that they're just such caricatures of what a gay man is supposed to be, sure. you know? Like, so that just didn't jive with me. And I And for the record, I am old enough to remember, like, when the original L word came out, like... <laughs> That was such a big deal. It was so hot. Everyone was in love with Shane. But, like, again, it was just, like, this, like, very, like, Los Angeles Hollywood Mm -hmm. styled, like, I don't know. It was just overdone. It just wasn't my jam. Like, current, like, uh, somebody that I love on social media, like, a, a queer couple. My favorite queer couple on social media is Glennon Doyle and yes. Adam Wambach. They are so hilarious. I yeah. am often on Abby's side about please just fold things correctly. Definitely. Put them away. Like, a, like this is where they go. Like, oh, my God, I love them so much. And, uh, you know, obviously, like, Brandy Carlisle mm-hmm. is, like, such a big thing. But also, um, I had, through the magic of YouTube algorithms, <laughs> um come across boy genius for the first time probably i don't know like a year or so ago and all of those women are queer you know Mm -hmm. like julian baker is like so great and Mm -hmm. i love how different they all are like phoebe bridgers is like so different from lucy Dawkins, and like they're just so amazing and there's an artist out of uh the uk that i just found because she played She's had toured with Julian Baker before, and she's going back out on tour with her this fall, and it's an artist named Katie Malko. And I'm, like, completely in love with her record, Failures, that came out in 2020. And just incredible songwriting. And, uh, yeah, I didn't even know she was queer until it was Pride Month, and she was, like, posting on Instagram, and she's like, you know, this is misconceptions about bisexual people. And I'm like, girl... I don't even even know. Now I like you even more. What's up, girl? Let's talk. So yeah, they. Uh, I think it's so great because again, it's the same thing that we were talking about earlier. It's just this younger generation, these people that are in their mid and late twenties. Like I would have never have dreamed of being so calm and cool and open about that at that age because sure. I didn't understand it myself yet. And that's really what it came down to was I just. I didn't get it because I didn't have anybody representing that. I couldn't see myself in that way. Yeah. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, I did come out at a young age, but it was to specific people, you know, it was never, you know, out to everyone all the time. It was because I had so much internalized homophobia, even Mm -hmm. as a queer person. And that's, you know, a lot of, you know, I'll call it Baptist guilt, you know, of me sitting there like, am I really going to go to hell for being who I am? And like, then there was like all this shame around it. And that's, that's uh, until I started discovering these queer people in media, 
that's when I finally became comfortable with who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's why this generation is so lucky. You know, these kids that are coming out, you know, now, and it's just like, God bless them, you know, because it's hard no matter what. I'm never going to, you know, say it's not hard. And I'm not going to say it was harder for us because, you know, it's hard is, you know, how you interpret it yourself. But I feel like they will become more comfortable in who they are quicker because of the representation that we have. Yeah, I'm so happy for them. And I often mm-hmm. talk about how I how thankful I am for every queer person that came before us that that did and didn't get to live their truth. I mean, there's okay. so many that never got to live their truth. And that maybe there and there's ones that if I was so oblivious in the 90s and early 2000s, like guess what? They were probably just as oblivious 50, 60, 70 years ago, you know, like there's these people that just never had any understanding of it. And the whole internalized homophobia, um, I remember, so I went to the very first Lilith Fair, like when that was a thing. And like, this is um, when like, got it was like Indigo Girls and like Meredith Brooks and like all, there was like such a huge like um, women in music thing happening at the time, mm-hmm. which is why Lilith Fair was such a big deal. And I remember walking through with like my high school boyfriend I was like there's a lot of lesbians here I don't know I don't know why I guess they all like Meredith Brooks and the Indigo Girls because I had no idea no nobody talked about that I didn't know they were queer but like true story of of internalized homophobia is I was super into Melissa Etheridge's yes I am record Mm -hmm. and again oblivious I had no idea what that meant no one was talking about it and then one day I found out that those songs were all written about a woman and I stopped listening to it because I had like I was just I was so connected to those songs I felt them (laughs) so deeply and like there was something that just terrified me the minute I was like oh no now I'm gay (laughs) and that's bad you know and I, I, I I swear to god I just stopped listening to it and like I tried to revisiting them not that long ago and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't, it's definitely dated material. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The songwriting's still good, but it, the, the recordings are kind of dated. So like it had already lost its magic, but yeah, that was just such a uh, touchstone moment for me that I look back on whenever we talk about how internalized our own homophobia can be. And, and I think that um, not everyone is comfortable with, that either is with is comfortable with the term internalized homophobia mm-hmm. because I think because saying internalized homophobia implies that I have I am homophobic right if I'm saying I have internalized mm-hmm. homophobia when what I truly believe that is is it's not my being homophobic it is this what society has said like the word queer queer is bad sure like there's a lot of words that we still don't use to describe queerness because they are derogatory so if you've heard all of these words used in a derogatory sense like Mm -hmm. that's what i mean by internalized homophobia just to clarify is the homophobia of society definitely and like Mm -hmm. i i was just having a conversation with someone about that and i thought it was relevant to bring up whilst we're talking about it and I'm thinking of it yeah internalized homophobia to me is shame yeah 
basically, you know, and, and I, I use the term internalized homophobia because I feel like people instantly knows, know what it means, mm-hmm. but, um, you're, you're right when you say that. And, and it was, it was a lot of shame, um, because I didn't want to disappoint my parents. It was shame because I felt like I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was shame because I had been raised so religious, you know, and now older me looks back and is like, how fucking stupid were you? Right. <laughs> you know, like, I feel so dumb now. Like, honey, you didn't even know. I wish I could talk to my teenage self sometimes yeah. and be like, dude, come on. Um, but, you know, and it, it, it's it's been a long journey. Even in the last few years, I've changed a lot as far as how I view myself as a queer person. Mm-hmm. And um, not to bring religion into it, but I consider myself a religious person. Mm-hmm. And I, for a very long time, didn't believe those two things could coexist. Mm. Um, I felt like that if God thinks this is wrong I'm gonna pretend God doesn't exist sure um and and again with queer representation hearing people talk about being a queer Christian like Brandi Carlisle mm-hmm. and like um you know Jennifer Knapp who is a queer Christian artist it's without people like that talking about that I don't think I would be comfortable with who I am today that's beautiful, and I think that that totally hits the nail on the head, and I think <clears throat> that's something that's very important to me. I'm a deeply, deeply spiritual person. It's a part of who I am, um, and, I, like, I grew, like, we stopped going to church when I was, like, I don't know, 12, so, but my, my mom always, like, raised us on the idea of, like, God is, un- like, loves you unconditionally, and I love you unconditionally, like, and what a gift, like, that is the one thing that I have to pass on to my kids, and because that, because I think that that's what we all, as humans, need, is we need to understand that we are unconditionally loved, like, you don't have to be shamed, life is hard enough, you don't have mm-hmm. to pretend there is a man in the sky who hates you because of something you <laughs> did, oh, he created you, but he fucking hates you, yeah. how twisted is that? Anyway, I am completely comfortable saying that. So, <laughs> my uh, my grandma, who is still alive to this day, in her late 90s, to this day will tell me all the time, like, I'll be like, hey, grandma, how was your day? And she'll go, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And I'm like, okay, g- g- so glad you had a great day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the answer to how was your day. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God still hates your sin, but uh, you know, I got some nice uh, ham at the at the deli today. It was very good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't know why your like... grandmother's might have in this story. But, you know. <laughs> that's probably accurate. <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah, that's that's the way a lot of especially southern people were raised Mm -hmm. you know my grandma's country is cornbread and she just like is that's just who she is um and like i said earlier there's just no changing that and it it realized it took me a long time to realize that i it would be more productive to change how i viewed myself versus Mm -hmm. changing them you know because the you you have to be happy for yourself first. Yeah. 
And I didn't realize that for a long time because I was just trying to appease so many different people in my life. And, you know, life is short, man. You know, you you only get, you know, so many years on this earth. Why live it for other people? And it took me so long. Like, it seems like such a simple concept, but um, a lot of that came from that shame. But um, now it, like rolls off my back when my grandma says stuff like that I'm like oh oh, 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 grandma but um yeah I for a long time I took that to heart when she'd say that to me and and that's that's why going back to it queer representation is important because without those people telling me that it's okay that you know I can love you know who I want whoever I want to love and I can still you know, have a higher power that's not going to send me into fire and brimstone if I choose to believe that, you know, and that's, that's, that's what queer representation has done for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that the, I've really been trying to cultivate a lot of empathy for people that have a mindset like that uh, with the more negative thoughts towards it, because they, because I just look at that and it's like, oh, well, they were taught fear and shame. So it makes sense that that's the way that they're going to view it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what they were taught. And, you know, some people can are able to grow. Um, like, I had such a very uh, stark experience with my dad towards the end of his life when um, he had gotten remarried after my mom passed, like, to a Southern Baptist lady um, and that goes to, like, the mega, mega church in our mm-hmm. hometown and, like... Um, I don't know how political we get on the show, so I'll, I'll I'll hold it a few of my things, but, um, uh, yeah, he was just very much wrapped up in that. And like, I feel like my dad, he did okay with me being gay. Cause you know, probably he, he did better with it with me than I think he would have with my brother for the sure. aforementioned reasons of, uh, cis white femme lesbians have it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I'm I'm still convinced, and I've not had the conversation with her. It's just you have to trust your intuition, right? Self-love. You have to just, like, trust yourself. And I just felt like she didn't really accept me. And, like, mm-hmm. and even though she was in my wedding party and all of this, you know, I gave her sure. the, the mom role and all of that. But I always just felt like she wasn't down with it. And, like, I had just such a hard time with him like towards the end of his life because like uh like just with like the racism and homophobia like the stuff coming out of a guy that my the rest of my life I didn't remember being like that Mm -hmm. and it was like it was a couple months before he passed I had gone home to North Carolina to see him and like him and his friends were like sitting around and they like a few racial slurs were thrown and Mm -hmm. I was I just my dad's like literally dying. What am I going to do? Get into an argument with my dying father. So I just very loudly said, well, I'm not listening to this goddamn bullshit. And I like (laughs) left the room because like, what am I going to do? Sure. In this moment, he's going to be dead soon. Like whatever. If this is what you guys really want to talk about right now, that shows me everything I need to know about my dad's friends. And I will not continue relationships with them after he's dead because that is my choice because I respect myself and don't, care about forming relationships or continuing relationships with people like that but yeah like that's such a that's such a hardcore thing and like you have to choose your own happiness uh Wayne Dyer always had this quote of uh 
do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And sure. sometimes you have to choose your own men- you have to choose your own mental health. Yeah. Like I think that that's the most important thing. It's definitely like a pick your battles type situation because there's a very fine line between getting into an argument to anyone that seems remotely homophobic or racist and, you know, being miserable, you know, because you're constantly fighting with everyone, Mm -hmm. um, which I have a tendency to do. (laughs) That's the um, metal side of you. It is. Um, (laughs) And it's it's that and, you know, making excuses for people. So there's two, you know, on two sides of it. You know, you can say, oh, you know, that's just the way they were taught their whole life. Oh, you know, ignore them. And, like, that's not okay. Agreed. But it's also not okay to, you know, start an argument when you know it's going to be fruitless. You know, and there's going to be no point at the end of the day. You're not going to change this person's mind. But that's where it's a gray area because Mm -hmm. there are some people that are just uneducated and it is, you know, your job as a queer person who is representing the community to educate these people Mm -hmm. because sometimes it just comes down to pure ignorance. Yeah. And a lot of times, yeah, it is the way they were taught and the way they were raised. And it's like, if you're talking to, you know, my 97 year old grandma, that's not worth it. Yeah. You know, she's not going to be here in a couple years. Just let her live her life. I'll live mine. We'll coexist. But, you know, when you're, you know, talking to a 20-year-old who's been raised in a homophobic, racist household their whole life, you know, that's kind of a battle that, you know, I would choose to fight because yep. this person can unlearn learned behavior. And it just comes down to ignorance. So it's 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 a... A hard world trying to navigate, you know, in between those two polar opposite scenarios. But um, I do feel like as someone, you know, it's becoming less of a minority, but queer people are still a minority. Mm -hmm. And it's our job as queer people to educate the people that don't know better. Yeah. And I think that that's absolutely how I operate in life. And it's also how I operate within my, I don't know, what's the, my sphere of influence, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. on my podcast or in my music or when I'm talking to people, you know, is I think speaking up and um, trying to connect with people. I was a manager for a long time, like in my, like in my day jobs. And so I'm really big on my approach with it because you can't like, for me, like I, I can't go into it like trying to fight them and argue with them it's like I go in more trying to reason with them because you know the minute you start fighting with someone they feel shame they shut down they're gonna get defensive so like that's just such a part of who I am and I think that also back to the intersectionality thing is I find it to be my responsibility that I have to use my voice to lift up all of the voices of the other members of the community Mm -hmm. that don't get that platform and then elevate their voices um, and I, I just, I think I, I quite literally, I believe that for me, it is my responsibility, you know? Yeah. And I think that, especially as a white person, especially as a cisgendered person, you sure. know, you have to speak up and you have to say like, yo, that's not right. Hey, this is not cool. And this is why, um, sure. Hey, how would you feel if someone did this? How would you feel if that would, that's somebody's mother, brother, sister, friend like come on sure (laughs) like yeah so yeah 
Yeah, I I definitely feel that tying this all back together, that is truly why queer representation is so important. Because you have these people that are uneducated and don't know. And, you know, if they find out their favorite musician is queer, you know, that puts them in a kind of a weird situation. But it's important that, you know, as artists we put a stop to those people that are saying, you know, shut up, don't make it about politics, shut up and just play your fucking instrument, you know? It's important to rise above those people and be a beacon in your community for, you know, whether that be fighting, you know, I will be, whether you want to call it political or not, till the day I die and and put that into my art because I will fight, homophobia and racism and you know all of that until the day I die because I feel like it is my duty as a person that you know sometimes is in the spotlight yeah and that is why queer representation is important because of ignorance basically yeah (laughs) that's why it's important to me and I thought about as you were saying it if if you don't want me to talk about my life in the context of politics then don't politicize my fucking life right like I didn't ask for you to fight whether or not I'm allowed to marry my wife Mm -hmm. like I like this is something that like you may be familiar with as another queer person but here's something that a lot of people don't know is that so like the state of Illinois has a really has one of the best marriage equality like laws in the country like my name is on our kids birth certificates like my kids are my kids it doesn't matter which body they came out of right Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what their DNA is my kids are my kids in Illinois but leaving Illinois, I have to make sure that I have adopted my children because in certain states, again, regardless of what DNA is, which is something that personally we don't discuss, um, because the kids came out of my wife's body, they are hers and I have no rights. And so if we got into a car accident in another state, we all go to the hospital, say, I am fine. My wife and kids are all in the ICU. I can't go see them. Don't tell me to not talk about politics when that is my actual life that has been legislated, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's that's what's happening with, like, the social movements right now, which I think is incredible, and I love it, and I'm here for Mm -hmm. it, and I'm fighting for it and supporting it, and and we still have a long-ass way to go. Um, but again, that's why representation matters. That's why we have to be talking about it. That's why it's a big deal mm-hmm. that a TV show from BBC America, like Killing Eve, was yeah. such a fucking phenomenon that, like, they want all this stuff. Shit's Creek. It is incredibly important that Dan Levy played a pansexual character mm-hmm. that got married on television. Like, when, like, how often have you seen queer men kissing on tv it's so sure. important and like mm-hmm. let me they are the god they're the best couple i love them <laughs> like Shit's creek and killing eve are like so culturally important god bless them sure yeah i mean i'll just say this as a broad statement out there to anyone who's listening whether you're queer whether you're an ally you know use your platform whatever platform that may be to just educate and inform and keep fighting the good fight because, you know, whether or not, you know, we have queer people kissing on TV or not, you know, that's not, our fight's not over. 
you know, we're still a minority, we're still going to be treated differently by some people, and it is up to us, you know, as queer people and as allies to help push that message. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's important. Queer representation is important. And anyone who is a creator listening to this, keep making queer music, keep making queer TV, keep making queer movies, and, and just keep fighting the fight with us. <laughs> it, it's just the best community. Like, and, like yeah. did you just see where, like, the uh, there's a new amendment to the Pride flag where they added in the intersex yeah. to the Progress Pride flag? Yeah. I love us. It's like as we expand, we just like add all these things. And I'm like, well, shit, I just finally got my progress pride flag. I was all excited about it. And now I got to get a new one. Totally on board. I support it. Like, yeah, I I just love it. And I think that we, we really do. We have to. And I think that in Chicago, like I've found just such a great little group of queer musicians um Mm -hmm. i just released uh uh beverage and the drinks it was on my podcast um supernova um boys versus girls like that's three people like in chicago that i know out like off the top of my head and there's just so many more like um i have just so many great transgender like uh, musician friends and like oh my god like and they're gonna be on the playlist like um like size of sadness like oh my god i love I love them they're so great and uh yeah there's there's such a good group of queer musicians in Chicago and I'm just so happy to know them and be a part of it and everybody's just very supportive and I think that that's really great did you ever go to like the reigning femme shows when the um when those were going on at G-Man Tavern I did not no that was so fun I got to play two of them that was a really good oh that's awesome yeah. That's the good um, thing about being in two bands, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know. I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any, you know, final things you want to say before we wrap up here? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I think that, look, if you hear somebody, like, please stand up for one another, too, because not everybody feels comfortable in those moments so I think that you know just like a shout out to the allies hey thank you for doing what you do like we 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 need you um but just remember I mean we're all just kids on the playground and like sometimes when someone's picking on you no matter how tough you are you might not in that moment be as you're being triggered and feeling scared and Mm -hmm. like you might not have the voice to say the thing like how many times have we all like thought of the great comeback at the, after the fight you know so <laughs> sure. like it's really important that if you see something say something and like speak up for each other but most importantly like just wherever you're at in your journey with queerness like keep going like you are so worthy you are so loved like I am a mom and I can join free mom hugs now and I'm gonna march <laughs> in a pride parade I'm gonna hug all those kids and like but truly like because that's just the one thing that I wish I would have known is like, just keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in my late twenties and I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was living in a small town. I like had broken up with my girlfriend of three years. I like dated this new, like cute girl that had moved to town and we broke up and I'm like, well, I know all the lesbians in town. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do now? Just keep going. You're great. You are so worthy. If your family is having a hard time, like, connect to your community. Like, you're so well understood because your experience is not singular. You know, we all have our own unique experiences, obviously. But, like, 
so much of your lived experience someone out there can relate to. So share it, find it. There's a lot of great resources. I'm so glad to be a part of this episode. I feel so honored. Thank you so much. (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, I think this is a really important conversation that we had, and I'm very happy to have had it with you. And um, can you just let people know where to find you, where to find your music, stuff sure. like that? Yeah, um, you can find me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm often on Instagram. You can find me at Sarah Natchweed. Um, think natural weed if you want to remember how to say it, <laughs> Natchweed. Um, so yeah, I'm at Sarah Natchweed. You can find me at sarahnatchweed.com. That's like got my blog. It's got some links to like some, some music stuff. But, um, the big thing that I'm doing right now is I've got my own podcast as well called Hello, I Am Human. You can find that Hello, I Am Human podcast.com and it's on all the major podcast, uh, platforms. Great. Thanks. Um, I guess I will plug myself, which I'm all always awful at doing do Um, it i don't like talking about myself you're wonderful i'm a big fan keep going (laughs) you can find my band the secret lives um on facebook just search the secret lives um you can find us on instagram the secret lives underscore um we're on Bandcamp. we're on all the streaming platforms um i'm not sure when this will be released but i believe by the time this is released we will have a new single out um, and you can find me personally, um, on Instagram. That's where I'm at the most. I'm at the Mel flowers. Um, and what else? What else? Uh, I have a horror review YouTube channel. If anyone listening to this likes horror movies, um, it is called Codename Scream. You can find us at youtube.com slash Codename Scream. And I am done plugging myself now. I'm going to plug uh, Rock in Chicago a little bit. Um, you can find everything Rock in Chicago at rockinchicago.org. Um, we do playlists uh, every week. Um, I just curated a metalcore playlist. Um, we just had a punk playlist uh, pop up. We're always doing you know, themed playlists. We will have a pride playlist um, that comes out in conjunction with this podcast episode. And if you're in a band and you want to be included, uh, we do like First Fridays uh, playlists uh, for Bandcamp. Um, you can submit all your music on our website at rockinchicago.org. And uh, yeah, find us on all the socials. We're real easy to find. And talk to us. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Let us know what you think of the playlist. If you have any musical suggestions, just let us know. And thank you so much for being with me here today, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mel. It was so nice to talk with you and get to learn a little bit about you and all of this. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And until next time, you will have Eric speaking to you next time and get me out of your ears. But uh, until the next podcast, just be kind to one another. That's all I have to say. Just be kind.